the credibility or the authenticity thing is, is slightly different because it requires, I think, you know, I was thinking about this. I didn't respond, but I read your, your text because how you, how you deal with that outside our community to me is where that credibility and mm. authenticity comes together because oftentimes we as individuals can pay that price without our community even knowing oh. and it happens so you know what i'm saying so did you get that recorded are you recording and <laughs> <laughs> you just hit Let's me start deep. recording This is Counter Stories, a podcast by people of color, for people of color, and everyone else. I'm Anthony Galloway with co-hosts Lee Lee, Don Eubanks, and Cindy Morales-Garcia. You're getting ready to drop in on a conversation that's already gotten going about credibility and authenticity in our community. In my mind, you know, authenticity and credibility go together, right? But there's something that really differentiates from each other still? So for me, when I think about credibility and authenticity, those two, those two ideas merge. And for many of us that come from our various communities, oftentimes, because when I think of credibility within my own community, you know, I think of, there are things, there are things that, I feel like I we may maintain um, in our own community by being our authentic self, which is a little bit different because when we're in white space, that's where those two things kind of come together. But oftentimes, many of us find ourselves in situations where, like in our professions or our jobs, where we're asked to do something. And our credibility and our authenticity, if we are true to who we are and ourselves, often puts us in in places where the decisions we make may be detrimental to us professionally, personally. And it's those type of situations that often, you know, the rest of our community is not aware. I mean, Mm -hmm. I can just think of instances in my professional life where my where my authenticity and my credibility to who I am came through and but a co- at a cost mm-hmm. it, it it came through at a cost right it's just that that intersection for me the intersection between my unapologetic authentic self and I add unapologetic because part of my interest in especially in this coming year is to be as unapologetic, right? There, there's there, there's there's authenticity, meaning I, I for me, and I'm recognizable to my community that I'm speaking the language and I can engage in a way that my community will recognize me as you know, calling me by my name, right? I'm Ant or I'm AG in community in a way that communicates something that isn't the same in 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 these in dominant uh, cultural spaces, and but the unapologeticness piece comes to me as well because I'm not just interested in 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 surviving with with a, enough pieces of myself in these other spaces. I, I'm 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 down I'm now to the space of being like no 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 when you show up you going to get on full display 
every ounce of what I've got coming into the room with me, not just as what's acceptable, but I'm 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 I, I'm I'm not going to be putting energy into what you understand about how I operate and be in the world. Now, mm-hmm. you know that is that's where I'm holding authenticity and an authentic self is there's a level of unapologeticness. And Don, what you said in that intersection is an absolute choice day in and day out because one. Mm-hmm reduces my options in one environment, but vastly increases my options at home. And Mm -hmm. so this is a constant, these things are constantly coming back. Or there are things that will make me extremely credible. I had a conversation about this in a seminary class, right? We were debating about, um, there was this whole debate about a Black author, a womanist author, Dolores Williams. And, Mm -hmm. you know, how she's, you know, but you've got to be there. You've got to be in this so that the academy, you've got to go through this to get into the academy. And a couple of handful of folks of color in the room are like, uh, Okay, yeah, that's that may be one aspect of her portfolio, but she's already got that credibility with us back home, and she mm-hmm. don't need to do, jump through any of these hoops that you keep trying to put her in, and like so she's already got that from we don't already given her her flowers on our side. This is y'all stuff, yeah. and we don't mm-hmm. have to. We're not actually interested in participating in y'all stuff. Mm-hmm. So there's 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 this this is the tension line that I've been mm-hmm. dancing all around. I mean, you know, that happened with with us, Anthony, when we were. Someone approached me about about a, a, a job, right, a gig, um, and wanted Anthony. And I said, sure, here's his rate. And they said, oh, we won't pay that. That's not, you know, if he was some sort of author or had something published Ooh. or he could somehow Which I do, but that's a different conversation. Make, make the Ooh. crowd, um, like, you know, bring people to the, to the event. If he could you know, promise a certain amount of bodies at the event, we would be willing to pay him half of that rate of his normal Mm. rate. And it was just something where I, we laughed so hard about it. And then I just said no. And I walked away from it because I was like, I'm not going to put either of us through that for an organization that deems itself to be an equity oriented community organization but won't pay our rates because we're not published or we because they didn't count they didn't see us as having credibility unless we were somehow published somewhere and and the the funny part about that is um we walked away and was like no 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 we're not about to compromise ourselves in this (laughs) one and we're just like no sorry uninterested and it wasn't Mm -hmm. uh, like folks will get into this conversation and to your point don earlier right when we call out um, this issue and say, I'm not about to set compromise me or myself. I'm not going to compromise my credibility back home with my community. And we make that known. Folks often receive that as some kind of attack or dispersion on them. Mm-hmm. And it's just the market. Like, no, mm-hmm. I'm not interested. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going in there. Funny story to that point, Lee, that gig, that somebody went back and they mentioned that to somebody else who mentioned that to the folks of color in that organization. And they had a whole conversation about it to the point where this one of the folks came randomly to me at a community event and was like, look, I just need to address this because I we didn't handle that right. And, mm. and I was just like, hey, I'm not thinking about that. Like, you're good. We, we're having a conversation, whatever. We're moving, we're moving forward. Like, not only did you not cause me any stress about walking away from that, you're not going to cause me stress about, Mm. you know, giving you a pat on the back and saying it's okay. Like, I'm just Mm. not going to participate in that. That's your stuff, not mine. That's you stress, Mm -hmm. not not distress. So, like, 
again, navigating this line day in and day out. It's, it's this mm-hmm. constant back and forth. Yeah. I love that. I, part of what I resonate and what I'm hearing you all saying also is that, you know, credibility is very, um, relationship centered. You know, we, we think about to whom am I accountable? Like who actually, you know, I'm, I'm accountable to my community. I'm accountable to whoever I'm, I have a relationship with. I know sometimes when I get invited into collaborations, I look at, well, do I have relationships with any of you? And what do those relationships require of us? Because I care more about the relationship mm-hmm. than I care about whatever fancy thing we're trying to produce. At the mm-hmm. end of the day, I need to know that we have each other for the long haul, that our capacity is growing, that we as connected, interdependent human beings are going to be well, right? And if this relationship goes bad, my then my credibility goes bad because yes. it, it all comes down to how are we impacting each other as human beings, mm-hmm. not the accolades mm-hmm. or the, or, you know, or the deliverables or, you know, all these things. So I think about it. What am I actually accountable to? And it's not usually the contract. It's, it's usually the relationships, our shared, mm-hmm. you know, our sharedness. It goes back to things. And I think folks forget that, right? They mm-hmm. think, they think, you, well, I'm your client or I'm the one with the money or I'm giving you prestige. And it's like, that's not what I'm anchored in. I'm anchored in the relationships that brought me here. I'm anchored in the communities who I get to like reflect with and on and then share with you my learnings just as one individual in the community. It's a whole other thing that I think people don't think about when considering, you know, um, what gives you authority to speak on things, right? It's, well, it's who I'm connected to, not this piece of paper, this, this, or that. Cause I could show up to you and be like, I have all these degrees. I have this publisher, whatever. That doesn't mean crap to my people back home. Like right. they, they really couldn't <laughs> care less. They're just like, what is, I was just visiting family in Guatemala for the holidays. And I was there for a month and there wasn't a single time that anybody asked me about my job, mm. what I've produced, my education, like they weren't asking me about any of that. No one's keeping track. Like it doesn't mean, and actually I come from a very uh, working class um, uh, family that is deeply entrenched in uh, uh, socialism and shaped by social uh, socialist democracy thinking. And so they're actually very suspicious of hmm. those who set themselves apart as, as elite they're like, you mm-hmm. say these things and you hoard power and you do nothing for us, right? So actually there it flips. I'm like, I'm not trying to be all like, look at all this stuff because to them it communicates to them. You don't care about the people. You care about hoarding power and resources and titles that take and give give very little in return, right? It turns on their head, but not, you know, it's interesting to me how, how many spaces um, in dominant culture in the U.S., that's not... That's not a given. Like, it's a given that credibility comes with academic degrees and positions. It's very hierarchical. And I'm like, the rest of the world isn't necessarily always thinking that way. And the masses are actually very, very suspicious of that. But what shows up is, did you show up for me in community? Right. So I I like to think about that credibility as really about accountability and relationship base. And, and, you know, it it brings a whole different conversation to, to the table. Yeah, it's interesting because I think it's very, I think it's very different for like refugee communities, especially those who are are fairly new to this country. Whereas like my, my community is really like, go get that doctorate. 
Oh, yeah. You know, go get that master's. Like, you need that. Make us proud. You know, Mm -hmm. my parents would always say to me, my mom always said, your brain is so pink. You can still learn all of these things. And she would say, my brain is not pink anymore. You know, I'm Mm -hmm. old. I don't speak the language. I can't learn these things. So you need to go and learn these things to better our community. And mm-hmm. so these degrees are held to high, high regards. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, the second someone has a doctorate, they are held, they are a new level of elite in our community mm-hmm. where, you know, oh, she has a PhD. That's, that's, yeah. a, that's a big deal. She must know what she's doing. And I, I, I really think it's all out of survival. Mm-hmm. It was, mm-hmm. you know, my parents always said when we were little, you want to succeed in this country, you want to blend in, you want to do what the other people are doing because they're being successful in this country. Mm-hmm. So you need to follow their lead in order to be successful. Because who yeah. knew, you know, my mom never went to school. And now we're mm-hmm. in this country where they see that that's what gets you ahead. That's what gets you those better jobs. That's what gets you out of poverty. Yeah. And they're they're set on that. Yeah. I appreciate that because, you know, in the U.S., my family in the U.S. is mm. the same way. Isn't it? I mean, like, we're such <laughs> a barrel of, like, paradoxes, aren't we? Because I mean, in the U.S., it's totally that, you know. But at the same time, um, it's held very loosely in that I feel, you know, everyone is like, oh, Cindy, she did grad school. She did the thing and it's a thing. But they that's it. Then they're over it. Like they, no one because that was the first. It's not a shared experience. It's like you did mm. that. But we don't really know how to talk about it. We don't know how to keep holding it. We just we know you accomplished it. And that's, you know, like we pushed for it. We sacrificed it for mm. all that stuff. And it gives you some credit, but not in an actual real tangible way, because that was never our way. You know, and mm-hmm. so and that leaves you kind of isolated a little bit. And so it's both a, like you're supposed to get. I kind of feel like it's like how women are supposed yeah. to have children. You have yes. to have children. We're going to push really hard for you to do it. You're going to have kids, but then you're totally on your own. And never, no one ever comes back to you to see if you need help or if things are OK or it's not like supporting you and having those kids isn't fully a whole shared thing. It's just like the women folk got to go take care of that now. It's like, you got the degree, did the thing. We don't fully know what it means. None of us can relate to you (laughs) on that sense, but we all work really hard for you to get it. And, but what is actually going to give you credibility in the day-to-day relationships of our community won't actually be that. It only takes you so far. It's a very surface level Mm -hmm. thing that I think we hold on to the idea of it more than it actually carrying weight. Uh, in true credibility when that matters in, you know, any certain way. You're kind of left out there on your own to be an important person. And, you know, and that's it. But it's interesting how it's the both and, right? Nothing is as straightforward as we think it is. And I also think it's, at least in, in, in you know, my community circles, it's there's some historical ties to that because I can identify mm-hmm. exactly with what you're saying, Cindy. Um and then here for for my native community, my indigenous side, we we have this historical, um, rather sad historical relationship with education through the boarding schools. Mm-hmm. So there was, you know, our elders, um, because of that trauma, education was not something highly sought. Mm. All right. Our relationship with education and how it was used, because it was used purposely to wipe out our our language and our history and our culture. So for me, 
when I went and worked for my people the first time, and I kind of mentioned this on Connor Stories, one of the things I struggled with was my credibility, my acceptance in my own community because I had a higher degree. And I think in the past 30 to 20 years, I think that's beginning to change because I think our elders realize, we're realizing that we could become educated and not lose who we were. Mm-hmm. Not, yeah. not like the experiences of uh, my mother's generation who was sent to boarding school. So I think that while I can totally identify with your, your community in Guatemala, that there's a transformation. We're not quite at the mm-hmm. place where, where, where Hilly's community it praises everyone. There's still no one ever asked in our community, mm-hmm. right? Seriously, mm-hmm. when you go back, no one asked if you went mm-hmm. to school, if you got a degree. They could care mm-hmm. less because that's not mm-hmm. what's important. It's about relationship. It's about who you are. It's about, you know, and, and so, but at the same time, our people are realizing, especially our tribes are realizing that in order to be successful on that tribal level, they need to get their members educated. Mm-hmm. In order to help run the mm-hmm. uh, reservations and the the programs and the, so mm-hmm. so there's this evolution going on, but I can admit that 25, 30 yeah. years ago, it was a real thing. You know, so, it was were they going to accept me? Was I going to be accepted? There, there's a couple of things that you know that I'm I'm hearing in this in this through line. One, even as we talk about. The one aspect that is used as as a as to check your credential, your credibility by dominant culture, and that is the degree. What it means to community, all you, you all of you have communicated something completely different. Like even in your description, that degree is a representation about your ability to do for community. So again, your credibility isn't the attainment of the degree. It's what you can you do with that mm. back home to clan and community, right? Um, um, you know, Cindy, as I hear you talk about, you know, that's great. We supported you. You got it. You accomplished that thing. You great accomplishment. But nope, that's not the lens through which we see you when you come back home and you and you're sitting at the table with Titi Minga like that. Mm-hmm. I, I, I remember to that day. To this day, um, my 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 step aunt in in Fajardo in in Puerto Rico, she. She said, she said, what do you want to do, right? And who do you want to be, is what she said, mm-hmm. not what do you want to do. And my response to her was what I wanted to do, school, mm-hmm. doctor, fire, you know, all this stuff. She said, no, 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 no. I didn't ask you what you want to do. I don't know who you want to be. Like, what kind of person you want to be? Because that's what mattered to family community yeah. space. And and you could go and get a degree that's just, that's all, all well and good. Or you can get any of these certifications or credentials that check a box for dominant culture and society. But that is a whole different list than what checks the credibility. And somebody said it here earlier, um, what checks community back home in community. But even when we get those things, what it does back home for community is completely different. There's nuance to it that may be different from other folks where you getting that degree is a marker of your skill and your credential. Mm-hmm. My graduate degree, my doctorate work is going to be about what I can deliver or, or do for and with my community. Mm-hmm. And that, and, and, it, and regardless of what skills I was able, I had to demonstrate in order to get there. So that's a different, you know, for me, it's a very different calculation. 
The other thing that came up, and Don, you you got me thinking about this, and I want to pose this question. Um, so so there's a conversation that would happen growing up when somebody would say so and so's going off to school. And there was praise for that person going off to school, but simultaneously a lament. Mm-hmm. Because not because that person is going to go and they're not going to be gone and you're not going to see them. That's one piece of lament and grief. But the other one is they're going to take one of our bright folks and we're never going to get them back. Not physically necessarily, but culturally, spiritually, and enrolled to community. This is a thing that I don't think we have been, we have talked about in the ways in which this, this, you know, belief in what credibility means in terms of credential mm-hmm. has done to drain or pull folks away from the cultural roots that made them there. You may get back to those, but mm-hmm. there's a limit that community has done over time because somebody's going to grab you. They're going to take you away. Now you're going to have all this notoriety on somebody else's terms. And now you're not, no, you're no, I don't, you're no longer again, recognizable in the way that you were before you mm-hmm. left. Yeah, And this is a tension piece for me because sometimes I get into conversations when I turn around and I go, nobody in my community is going to recognize anything I just said Mm -hmm. or anything that has to do with anything that they are talking about in this conversation I just had. Mm -hmm. And then I have to ask myself the question, why? Mm -hmm. I really appreciate that. I feel like that's my life story. (laughs) Just touched on it because, you know, so for those who, you know, so for my family here in the U.S., Education was such a huge thing because we left during a civil war in Guatemala and my parents were community organizers at the time. And one of the big projects that they took on was literacy campaigns to help adults learn to read because the U.S. um, offered Guatemala uh, financial aid in various forms where one of the stipulations would be, okay, we'll give you this loan. Um, but you basically have to not promote public education, high school, free high school education for 50 years. And so my parents were coming out of this generation where it's like the adult literacy rates were really, really low because basically there were no public high schools. To go to high school, you had to go to a private high school that mm. only like 2% of the country, the wealthiest of the wealthy, had access to. And so education was really powerful because when you have an exploited labor force that signs away their bodies and labors with these contracts that they can't read, education and literacy in particular was a tool of liberation. So you wouldn't keep being exploited um, by all, you know, by Chiquita Banana, by like all these privatized U.S. owned organizations that were exploiting people in labor. So it was this whole thing. So my dad... Uh, got one of very, very few, a handful of scholarships to go to high school. And then, and so it was a huge thing. He used to tell me, he's like, I was like, I want to, I want to keep going to school. And it would basically be like telling people, I'm going to go to the moon. Do people go to the moon? Yeah. Do we have the technology to go to the moon? Sure. Are you and I going to the moon? Heck no. I'm, you know, I don't have that. It's a thing, but it's not a thing for us. It's real, but it's so far away. It might as well not be real. So it was this huge thing, right? So there was this whole, this whole, you know, here, those who came to the U.S. who were like, we have to change. They embrace that, you know, that had to be a part of it. And so there's all this, you know, I could say this whole story of what it was for me to get, to get to school, to be able to go to school public, just even public school, y'all, just even get beyond middle school. 
Um, and I remember when I then finally did get to college, I just had this realization. I was just like, oh, you know, I grew up in the in the Latinx Pentecostal church. And I was like, I feel like my community brought me to these big gates, these big ornate gates. And I was like, oh, you all thought you were bringing me to the gates of the promised land, that one hmm. of us was finally going to make it. But you all left me at the gates of the wilderness where we wandered mm. for 40 years on our own without <laughs> you. Like, that's what that was. Because they didn't know. They didn't go with me. Like, they didn't, you know. Mm -hmm. And I lived at home during college. And I'm so glad that I did. I couldn't afford to live in the dorms. I lived, you know, like 20 miles away. And I was like, my mom's food is way better than this cafeteria food, you know. Facts. But it was like a whole thing. And... Um, and it took me a long time to figure the shock and the grief to have to violently leave your home country during war and then have to like and and then like encounter the violence of the of academia on your own once again. It was just like so much that took me a long time uh, to figure out. And at the same time, this tool of education continues to be a powerful one for the liberation of my people locally, internationally, like there is something to it. So it's such a both. And it's like the story mm -hmm. isn't the one that you think. Mm -hmm. You think mm -hmm. it's the story of the promised land, which is a powerful one, but it's actually the story of the wilderness, which is also a powerful one, but not nearly in the way you think and with a whole lot more grief than you are anticipating, you know? And so, so then I think about all I went through in that time, not by myself. I found other people, my sense of family grew. And because of that, I have a much more diverse, a sense, much more diversity racially, ethnically, like all this stuff than my parents did. Not just because I grew up in the U.S., but because of the people I encounter. Like there is an, um, at, I'm like one of the few in my family who it's like, oh, I got friends from all kinds of backgrounds. Mm -hmm. That's not the thing when you're in your own country, you know, mm -hmm. your diversity looks different or when you're only within your own immigrant community. And so when I think about what it showed, what it means to show up authentically, then also, an authentic part of my journey is that I grew up in the U.S. as a Latina. I went to college and all that that brought. I Yeah, I had to learn and unlearn all the stuff in the academia, but it changed part of who I am. And there's a certain generation of folks that, that get me, that understand, because a powerful part of me also emerged that had I stayed home in my home country, I wouldn't have had this perspectives that I have now. I'd have a whole other set of rich, just as good perspectives. But there, you know, when I think about the authenticity, um, it gets tricky to know when we live in across borders and countries and are intentionally, you know, our life is naturally one of 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 crossing borderlands of that space of overlap between things. Um, it can be you can feel kind of lonely in your own home root culture as you show up authentically. It's like, mm. yep, this is me authentically. I had that experience. I, I carry with me wilderness culture sometimes with folks, you know, and, and people don't always know what to do with it. my own people don't always know how to do with me. Uh, and there's a whole generation of Minnesotanas like me who are like, then we evolve, but that is the Latinx culture. We are a racial mixture to begin mm -hmm. with in and of itself. It just continues to evolve even more globally. So it adds all these nuances as we try to figure out how to be authentic, how, how to evolve but not assimilate in a way that we lose mm -hmm. who we are, but we also evolve who we are. And it can be hard for, for our beloveds to know how to integrate us or hold on to us without forcing us into an either or, because that's no longer an option for us, you know? 
Don, Don, I'm really curious how this is hitting you. I can relate to 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 what she's saying because it's an it's an ongoing kind of evolution that happens. I mean, I you know, I'm older now and I think about my experiences in my life and I think about the newer generations that are coming up. And and when you and when we, you know, education no longer at least in, on the indigenous side doesn't seem to be as much of an issue as it was when I was coming up. Mm. Okay? So so things are changing. I mean, you know, we've had guests on Counter Stories from the indigenous community who have now doctorate degrees, mm-hmm. right? It's 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 not an uncommon thing. And so, and they're younger. There's a different language. There's a different, there's a uh, a different awareness, a different, um, you know, in terms of that credibility, there's a difference that's happening in this younger generation that that um you know are are not taking a lot of things that I don't think in my generation we took but we may not have been as as um vocal about it you know mm-hmm. what i mean and so i think that that all that is changing and evolution and and i think that that you know what this <laughs> with us always changing and always um, things always moving. I, I've touched on, I think different aspects of this on, on other counter stories in terms of tradition, terms of history, terms of, you know, your, our cultures. I think there's more of an impact for us here in, in uh, the United States. Um, in terms of the evolution, the changing of who we are as a people, as we move along. I mean, you know, this country tends to romanticize us as indigenous folks and we're have, we've changed, but our core values and things and have remained the same. But, you know, I, 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 even I talked about how some of those traditions grew out of, negative experiences with the United States. One was, you know, where they outlawed our, our, um, our religious, our spirituality for about a hundred years, right. Mm -hmm. From 1890 until 1978. And so, so, um, we created traditions were created so that we, we wouldn't share that information around non-white folks, but Mm -hmm. now we don't have to do that. Right. Mm -hmm. It's no longer illegal, but when does that, evolution changed so when some of us were pushing that boundary saying well i don't we don't have to be quiet about it anymore the the religious police isn't going to come arrest us anymore but i was shunned still so Mm. you know it's that evolution that changing that that i think sometimes i find myself still questioning even at my age you know, what does it mean to be an indigenous individual? You know, what does that really mean in this country, in this current context? Am I indigenous enough? You know what I, am I, and what does that mean? 
And that, that, ooh, you give me, there's so much (laughs) angst that comes up with that because while that conversation is happening in community about how we define ourselves and continually uh, changing ways, that's something that all of our communities have always done is define ourselves Mm -hmm. in the context of the time. And Mm -hmm. that needle is constantly moving while I'm trying to figure out how to speak the language and play the games of a whole nother set of wilderness Mm -hmm. tools. I love that, Cindy. I love that. Mm. Um, uh, You can come preach anytime. Mm. Uh, So so, so I've got both of those and they're all moving targets. Mm -hmm. The difference for me is I get to be a co-creator in one Mm. and in the other, I have to be either (laughs) a poor example that will never be able to communicate the true richness of a thing or... (laughs) Um, or I have to to be something completely different in order to play, and now I'm starting to bifurcate myself. Right? These yeah. are the the those two spirits. The W. Boy talks about you know the double consciousness or the double the, uh, the, that you know of 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 the Negro in 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 his writing. So so these tensions are there, and I love Don that you said. You sort of, you brought into the space of I want to be in this. We're in this space now where we get to be more unapologetic. As we are having this conversation about credibility both in community and credibility to to dominant society and these nuances that go all around, there are moments that rise up for me where I need to take a break from that which Mm -hmm. does not look recognizable to home community. Mm -hmm. And, And sometimes the things that I engage in are so unrecognizable to dominant culture that one, it can get me caught up (laughs) to it, 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 um, it's it's just so different that I just chalk it up to be something that will never merge across these boundaries. Um, I was <laughs> I was engaged in a, a, a YouTube video, um, yeah. and it's called Cancel Court. Right? Okay. It's by it's by this group of folks, and it's all about entertainment. It's comedians, kind of improv cancel court thing, and it and it's and it's in the the premise is is hilarious, and they take issues like one of the things was. Uh, should we cancel Kanye? And there was a prosecution of defense and it's comedians doing what comedians brilliantly do. Yeah. They they throw stuff in your face. They say all the things you're not supposed to say in quote unquote polite society, but they get at some of the real things and then we laugh at ourselves. And at the end of the day, it's just us continuing in this redefinition process. But I could totally see somebody from outside of that community and culture looking at that happen and getting a completely mm-hmm. different idea about what's happening and all these all these negative things that if you understood the nuance you wouldn't feel any of that kind of way. Oh the language you know the language isn't going to be language you're going you're going to say in quote unquote professional space. But it's not mm-hmm. for professional space. So shut up. Yeah. Like there's yes. there's there yes. are these things that we go to that I know immediately going in here, oh my my either I'm going to have to spend a lot of time explaining this to white friends or this ain't, this just ain't for them and we're just going to keep it moving. And so, but I walk away from those moments feeling fulfilled, refreshed, and recognized by my community space. And so I'm just curious, what are some, for you all, some of the places you go where you're like, you know what, I'm going to do the thing where I don't have to worry about, I know where my role is. I know where I, I know, I know the language, I know the lingo. What are places like that for you that you have been able to find? Counter stories. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean it. I mean it. Like bottom from the bottom of my heart, my husband, who's who's a white man, will say sometimes, like, you know, sometimes you rant about things or you complain about something that's happening or you point things out that I don't understand. 
And he loves that we get together once a week to do this because then he doesn't hear about all these things that he doesn't, you know, he doesn't have personal experience with. And so, yes, I considered you guys, my Counter Stories family, to be that outlet for me because we can joke about things that aren't politically correct to joke about. But, you know, after a long day of trying to build community and all that stuff, I don't I don't want to. <laughs> you know, like I, I just want to sit down and and relax and have fun. And so, a lot of times, people are like, "Oh, have you seen this show about the Holocaust, or have you seen this movie about slavery?" And I'm always like, "I don't want to. Right. I don't want to." After a long no. day of dealing with that kind of stuff, I don't want to sit down and watch it again. You know, so mm-hmm. so yes, it my my safe space is is here with you guys, mm-hmm. and you get to be unapologetic, like. You don't yes. miss no words. You, yeah, yeah. And I love that. I love. I just that. have to. I just have to edit the swear words. But other than that, That's other than that, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, dear listeners, when you hear an awkward pause, that's an edited piece, and you can know exactly what just happened there. And it might not necessarily be because of Lee. <laughs> Don. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, there's always a pause with me because I'm always on mute. I keep forgetting to to unmute my damn damn mic. You know, um, but thinking about what you said, Anthony, you know, those times are kind of few and far in between Mm -hmm. for me because I'm not immediately connected to my community. Mm. Right? I mean, my community, I'm on a shinobi a member of the Mille Lacs band. So I feel I'm in community if I'm in the urban office mm-hmm. or if I'm at a function with other band members or if I'm up on the reservation. Yeah, when you gave us that tour, like yes. you, your whole, your whole like, I, I, I had to sit and smile and, and it might have looked a little awkward because I was staring at your ass, but the, 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 <laughs> the, the, I was just watching you light up into a whole different space. And I'm like, I was that's home. who I want to hang out with. I <laughs> was, and it was so, so proud of I was of home, it. man. I, yeah. I was home. Cindy, so, this cat was happy. <laughs> Folks was coming out the woodwork just to say hello. Uh, Students he, he put that. in position to do stuff was coming out and giving honor mm-hmm. back. It was the full circle community mm-hmm. experience, man. It was, it was dope. But, we met a but, lot of really cool people there too that Don introduced <laughs> us to. It was great. But Can to we be do this again? A, Oh, we would have to. We definitely, because that was the first time, that was the last time we all saw each other in person. That's right. Mm. Because we we recorded, we we did a counter stories up in right in um, missing and murdered uh, indigenous women. Exactly. Mm. Up in Wakan. Yeah. And so that was the last time we were physically together and we saw each other in person. Before COVID, yep. But Mm. outside of that, there are there are opportunities when we when when we can get together um, in community that isn't necessarily, um, you know, doing something around murdered or missing Indian right. women or, 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 or pushing mm-hmm. some kind of issue. Right. There's been one time where I've been able to get in with other fo- indigenous folks and it was, it was, um, at a place over in, in Minneapolis off Lake Street, in fact, across the street from where McGeezy was at before it burned down in the riots. Mm. Um, and it was, it was a indigenous 
Jeopardy. And all the questions had to do with the indigenous community, with our culture, with our, right? Now, there was some generational, I mean, because I, I, my team were, were with other, you know, uh, with an individual who also has a show on, on, uh, through Ampers Radio on, on KFAI. He does his indigenous show there. The other individual has his indigenous show on KFAI. Also, two different shows. They're both, you know, one's Ho Chunk, the other one is, uh, well, I'm not sure what what the other one is, but the three of us were on a team, and we got beat by some youngsters, right? We got, we got <laughs> but that's because some of the questions we didn't know because it was outside of our generational thing, right? But it was it was a time. It was one of the last times where we could be who we were as indigenous individuals without a care in the mm. world. And it, it, you know, you remember those times where you can do that, you know, where, where there's not a worry in the world. We were able to laugh, joke, like you said, Hilly, you know, maybe things aren't always politically correct, whatever that means. Um, but you know, cause coming from an indigenous perspective, that covers a lot. Right. But I'm just saying it, 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 um, that was one of the last times where that happens, it, it doesn't get to happen because usually we're fighting for a cause, mm-hmm. right? We're pushing an issue. We're, mm-hmm. we're, we're trying to move an agenda just so that we get recognized, right? And so we're always in the fight, and very seldom do we get to do that where it's just total entertainment and we're not worried about anything except being with one another. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And And... And like that, that entertainment, like there's, there's one piece of it. That's what you relax into. But I also, you know, enjoy the times where we may not be necessarily talking about an issue, but we're dealing with an issue in familial space. There may be an Mm -hmm. argument going back and forth. There may be a debate that gets out of hand. There may be something in the family that's uncovered that we're engaging with. And, but, but in there you have complete faculty. You're not trying to translate. You're not trying to worry mm-hmm. about how it looks to anywhere else. You're just fully being present. I remember mm-hmm. going with, with my wife to visit her family in Alabama and, and folks had talked about what I had done previously, but I, that didn't mean nothing to the folks that I'm meeting on the hill in Arkadelphia road in Alabama. Right. But, but when we went to a family establishment that they called the blue flame and and I get I get with one of her cousins, and there's all this catfish to fry up, right? Mm-hmm. Man, I came up out my shirt, went into the, went in there, and we just start frying catfish. I'm getting the batter out just as much as is 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 Unc is dropping them into the thing, right? And the moment that I knew something shifted, I had I had shown who I am outside of this perceived credible quote unquote credible space, right? Because the story is about what I have done hasn't mm-hmm. communicated any markers about whether or not I'm about community in that way. Mm-hmm. So when I get back there and I can fry up some fish and I can batter and I can do the stuff that seems like that's what we do, right? And I'm not, I don't have any any qualms or arms about that. I'm sitting outside sweating. I done sweated through all my clothes. It was already hot and I'm frying stuff up for the family reunion, but folks is having a good time. And all of a sudden somebody hands me a beer, a real cheap one too, but it's the one that everybody <laughs> drinks in the area. And and it was like, it was like, you here, you us. Like, and from that point mm-hmm. on, folks remembered me. Folks like mm-hmm. had an idea of, of, of me in that familial space. And, and I don't have to think about how I be. I don't, you know, you just, you just get it. You're just in there. 
And so there's moments like that, not just with family, but in community where you don't have to translate nothing. You can talk mm-hmm. about it if you are. Nobody's asking anything of you. Nobody's sitting there for what they can extract out of you or mm-hmm. holding on to you to help make them help them understand how something works. You just get to be you, right? And so mm-hmm. all your credentials fall off and you Ant or Antony or Ampy or AG or 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 son or whatever it is, right? <laughs> my my little negrito, that's what my my Domingo would say. Like there, there's there's there are these markers that come onto you. And I know once I start hearing those spaces, it's like all this other stuff that I have to worry about comes off. Mm-hmm. And and I'm unapologetic. Like I'm at the card table slanging them across, slapping them down. Like you ain't going to tell me nothing. I'm busting jokes that if there was ever a hot mic, I would never be able to run for office. Like there's, <laughs> that's the space that, that where I'm trying to see, to navigate. How do I, how do I take the me that shows up in that space and allow that to be the me that shows up everywhere else and constantly having to bump up to what's going to harm me in the long, what's going to harm me, mm-hmm. you know, and what's going to leave me recognizable back home. Mm-hmm. When we talk about credibility, um, I come from a very large family, as you guys know. I am the fifth of eight children. And, um, you know, sometimes sometimes people will ask me to speak at events or do, um, you know, do, do those types of things. And I think that for at least for the dominant culture that they would see label me as maybe somebody who's out there in community doing stuff all the time you know folks can sometimes recognize me I I always joke that all Asian people know each other or all Hmong people at least because it seems like every time I'm doing a project for a white institution the other Asian person that they brought in is somebody I already know right (laughs) and I hate and I always hate to feed that idea that you know, we all know each other, but at the end of the day, sometimes we do. And you mean it all, is really a all, small all world. ten of you, Hilly? <laughs> <laughs> so some um so my sisters uh were working together and they had a coworker who quote unquote was really interested in Hmong culture, right? A, a white guy who came around sometimes and he 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 heard he listened to counter stories and he would sit down with me. <clears throat> he would sit next to me and ask me all these questions about the culture, about the community. And at one point it became offensive to my siblings who were also there, who he knew better. But in his eyes, I had more credibility because of my role mm-hmm. out in community. Mm. Whereas my sisters who he worked with, who he was on their team, they could have answered the exact same question. Right. But he didn't feel like he could ask them. And it it, it did become offensive at at one point, like, oh, we don't have credibility because, you know, we're teachers, we're bankers, we have three kids, we don't, you know, we go to work, we come home, we have family, like, that doesn't make us credible in our own culture. You know, and and, well, side note, he did ask me some stuff. And when I answered him, he said, do you ever turn it off? And I told him, no, I can't turn off. Being yellow. Thank you. But that that does exist where it's like, oh, you're out here 
you know, we see you at events, we see you doing things. You must know more about your culture and community than the folks who are living their lives with their families mm. and doing regular things, not like protests and stuff like we do, like regular things, right? Go to the grocery store, go home, go to Sam's Club, you know, visit your family. You have kids, you're busy. Um, does that mean that they're not credible? Mm-hmm. Like, like whose house, like the, the, what you just said makes me think about the whose house we go into kind of thing, right? If I'm going to mm-hmm. come, if I go into a space and we go on over and, and we go to the house that's going to host the folks, right? I, I find this very interesting. In some parts, in some parts of the community space, the person who hosts it is the culture keeper, is the person mm-hmm. who is holding that together, has oftentimes where it's been. And sometimes that has moved to, it's funny, it's moved to the house of the person who has got the degree and has a slightly bigger house with more hosting space, right? And now we have to navigate, you know, what do we expect when we go there? We expect that person to pick up the cultural pieces from before, from from your decorations to the food that's happening there to to, to timing, right? Like, one of the things I love about being in, in, in space that isn't dominant cultural space is... I can let go of the anxiety that time brings to me. It's mm, like almost yes. time gets suspended. It's another, uh, you know, another thing on that list of quote unquote dominant cultural checkboxes that you can check off in order to seem credible to that to, to one mm-hmm. community. Man, when I get in there and I get told that the party is starting at four and the food is just going in the oven at four thirty, I'm <laughs> good. Yeah, because I know one that the food's about to be off the chain. Two, it's like it's a communicated a different, whole different like, like way of being, which mm-hmm. which which is 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 incredible to me. And so like those places where you get to go and you get to check out of, you know, just just bring me so much joy to the point where I, where I beg the question: Can they be created? Mm. Because part of this conversation seems like we're trying to go back and grab things, but are we in the business of creating these spaces? And what do they look like when you create the new spaces? Uh, the civil rights research experience where we take kids kids on the ethnic studies course and then down south. That whole bus, the whole time we're traveling, becomes that space. So mm-hmm. I know it can be created. I, I've seen folks on steps created. We created it when we was in the school desk and we had the pencils in the hand and we was making beats and stuff like that. There are moments where those get created. Or you might go to a Waller cooler with a coworker or something like that. And for the minute before everybody starts looking at you suspiciously, because the two people of color in the in the office are at the water cooler together and everybody wants to know what they're talking about. For that brief well, that hot minute. That means they must be sisters for me. Oh, the, you guys are sisters? People, yeah. When there was another, when I worked at an organization and we would go to the water cooler because there was a water cooler. And if me and the other Hmong girl was there, People would often come by and say, oh, I didn't realize who was who or are you guys sisters? So, yeah, we don't we don't do the water cooler stuff anymore, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, Anthony, you know, um, the other half of me. Right. So the other half, the black side of me, I, I belong to a, uh, a, a, a golf club uh-huh. with a bunch of brothers. Right. It's a mixed group. We diversified it. Because the original golf group was created by um, black golfers who weren't allowed to play in the white Mm. men's leagues Mm -hmm. um, back in the 30s and the 40s. Mm -hmm. And so they created their own golf club. We are keeping that tradition on, but we've 
integrated it, right? We allow <laughs> white guys into it. Um, but it's a bunch of it, it's a bunch of guys that I grew up with. About four or five of us went to high school together, and then others we've known our all our adult lives. So when we're in that space, when we're done playing golf, or even when we're on the course, we revert back to our who we are as brothers, <laughs> and we start talking. And every once in a while, every once in a while, like one of my cousins is part of this, right? And every once in a while, he'll say, hey, remember, we got white guys around. <laughs> we're in mixed company. Exactly. Yeah. And and because and, he's worried that yeah. what we're saying, mm -hmm. how we're saying it, and mm -hmm. how we're being will be offensive to that white individual. And our response is, who gives a, right? <laughs> I mean, because we're being ourselves. And we're laughing, we're joking. But it, it now this reminds me, Anthony, maybe what you were talking about with this YouTube thing. <laughs> where you know you know how we played a dozen jokes how, start flying yeah mm -hmm. you know and and that's because and it's nuanced because we know so so individuals who are outside that may not know you know um it's like i went i went down to arkansas with a buddy of mine and it's true you know for me the first time um, you know, the whites lived on one side of railroad tracks and the blacks lived on the other side, it, 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 just like they described it in storybooks. But he took me to his sister's house and she whooped out the rabbit, right? And threw the rabbit down on the table because she had went out and hunted that rabbit. rabbit. And I'm going, wait, she's black. Indian, we, we're Ojibwe, we eat rabbit. She's throwing down rabbit. I, I said, wait a minute. Wait, I was so confused. That was one of the best rabbits I'd ever oh, had in my life, man. Good. Ooh, oh, come on they, now. Ooh, come on now. Southern yes. rabbit. Good gravy. But it's that, you know, so for me, it's there's these times where it just happens. And then every once in a while, someone has to remind us, oh, hey, we're in mixed company. <laughs> who, who cares? Right. <laughs> That's the benefit of being able to speak a different language. Like, who cares? The white guys are here. Oh <laughs> yeah. Huh. <laughs> I mean, at some point, at some point, we can get into a conversation about the ways in which we're jealous of each other because language mm -hmm. is definitely on that list. Because, mm -hmm. uh, because, because, because the preservation of culture that it does, mm -hmm. and some, and and one of the things that we've, we've had to deal with in the authenticity side as Af as African American descendant of slaves in the United States. Mm -hmm. Is is the fact that our culture, because of the language accessibility to some of our cultural, it's 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 harder to insulate from something else because it's so easy to kind of take and 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 dabble and adapt in order to understand what it is. But this mm -hmm. that thing takes me all the way back. We're gonna do our history episode at some point. Mm, but but go. the way that the cajon is 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 designed, it looks like a bench and a stool. Why? Because I needed to hide the drum because we weren't allowed to use it. When 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 I have to tell uh, or sing the song or the story about the old dumb mule, because I can't express that right together on the plantation, my feelings about master, but I can write it into a song that makes its way into cultural zeitgeist. It's like there's these ways in which um, there's some jealousness that can come in mm -hmm. because if we could switch to a different language and preserve some things in that language, that then then it's helpful. Uh, these are the kinds of things where where I'm like, what would it look like for me to have the conversation Don just described mm -hmm. with the brothers when you start forgetting about mixed company? Right. In mixed company, I will never forget. 
I will never forget. And I think I've told you this before. I was in a men's singing group. It was uh, uh, at the church I was attending, St. St. James Emory Church. It was Sons of Levi. And we we started because we were doing work at the church, sweeping up, doing all these things. And we would sing. Um, and we'd have a good time. We'd play with these harmonies. We'd sing these. I'd learn old school songs from the old cats. And then, you know, bring in contemporary gospel stuff. Like, it, And all of a sudden, we're like, oh, this harmony sounds really good. Y'all singing group. Why don't y'all do something? Right? So, so we began to do that. But I'll never forget the day that we'd put the food out because we would put food out. We'd put a little card table up. We'd have some snacks there because once we got done working, we'd sit and we'd drink some stuff and eat um, at the steps of the church. And then we realized <laughs> at one point we looked up and it just got real awkward because we realized we're a group of black men singing, doing work around the church with watermelon and chicken on a card table. And, <laughs> and then we were, the dominoes would come out. And so while that <laughs> didn't, we, we, we were aware of the stereotype, we weren't thinking about that until we started to realize how we looked to the dominant cultural space. Now, mm -hmm. all of a sudden, that which was authentic and not in everything that we do, but just mm -hmm. a marker becomes something. Now the chicken goes away, the watermelon goes away because we don't want to feed a stereotype that's going to come back and bite others because we were authentic in the wrong place again the things that we get penalized for, for being authentic self. So, mm -hmm. so as we wrap up, I'm just curious for you all, right? We've talked about credibility, both in community and out. We've talked about being authentic self and unapologetically. As we think about the year going forward, what is one thing, one, one way that you could, are absolutely going to be like, you know what? I'm going to be my absolute authentic self. And here's a, here's a way I'm going to do it. Here's a way I'm going to go about it. Or here's a situation that I'm going to commit to being my authentic self. What is that for you as you think about coming up in this 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 new year? Well, for me, to be quite honest, is every time we get together and we do counter stories. I'm serious. It is it is the one time of the week where I can sit down and have a conversation with four other individuals or five and not be worried about what I have to say, how I have to say it. And even though we come from different cultural backgrounds and different ethnicities, there's this shared, there's, there's that dominant culture, the, the, you know, we, we often as a, and I always uh, butcher her name, the the uh, spoken word artist artist that was with us. Oh, Monkwe and Dosi. Yes. Yep. Where she referred to it as, as what what did she call it? The the hub and spokes. The hub and spokes exactly. Where mm. where often we as spokes, you know, around that hub, and in this space, we're not those spokes we don't have to worry about that kind of stuff. So for me, at least once a week, I know that this is going to happen mm. and it energizes me enough so I can wait till the next week to do it again. <laughs> what about, what about you all? Like, as you think about this coming year, where are some places you're looking forward to being your authentic self? 
See, I took away counter stories for everybody, huh? <laughs> <laughs> you cheated, Don. He would beat you to it earlier, though. You know, you really just went off of what she already said. <laughs> I, I think for me, the hard thing was, and I, I, I feel like a lot of younger Hmong, especially women, um, may have the same feeling that I hope that they, you know, can hear this and, and hear how I kind of dealt with it now that I'm no younger a spring chicken, um, as they say. Um, but when you're young and people start labeling, labeling you as a leader, that's a lot of pressure when mm. you're really young. And I just came to the point where I'm like, I'm not going to try to be a leader anymore. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to try to be up front, like in front of everything and making comments and, and doing that kind of stuff. I'm just going to be me. And if that ends up being leading others or inspiring others, go for it. Like, awesome. But I'm no longer living my life to try to prove that I'm that leader that people labeled me as soon as I graduated high school. Right. Mm -hmm. Just because, you know, my family was so poor and I uh, I needed to somehow pay for college. So, yes, in high school, I was extremely active. I was out there doing a bunch of different stuff. I was on all the, the student groups because I needed to land a scholarship mm -hmm. or I, I probably wouldn't have been able to go to college. And so people were just saying, oh, you're a leader. And and a lot of times I was like, um, you know, it came off as like a compliment, which which it is, right? But then it put a lot of pressure on me after that. And I think especially with social media, like when we were graduating, Anthony, that's when Facebook was really blowing up, mm -hmm. you know? And so people would always, you know, when I was in college, I'd be like, oh, I always thought you were going to do amazing things in high school. And I was like, that's a lot of effing pressure to put on somebody. Well, you got this scholarship, you know, you got this scholarship, so you should you know, be doing all this amazing stuff in the community, making change and stuff like that. And I was like, you know, I'm, I'm 19. I'm not ready for that. But then it really stuck into my brain of like, I need to prove that I'm this leader everybody said I was. Mm. And as I'm older now, I'm like, screw that. I am mm -hmm. who I am. And if that ends up helping to lead people or inspire people, that's awesome. But I'm no longer living my life for that. Mm. Mm. And I think in our community now, a lot of the, the young Hmong women are really, you know, at the forefront of, of different movements, right? The self-care movement, the art movement, mm -hmm. uh, you know, organizing movement. And I, I fear that if they, that they may have this feeling as well of, I was labeled to be a leader. I need to prove myself as such. <clears throat> and as a daughter of refugees as a person of color, I take that very seriously, mm -hmm. which is what happens. And it doesn't have to be. Mm -hmm. mm. Well, Cindy, close us out. What did you think about oh. what's, what's coming up? I know you <clears throat> just went to a first. trip, so you've been practicing going. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Let me tell you. I can read a whole thing on homecomings. Hey. Uh, um. Wow. I'm just sitting with, I feel like I just gained so much wisdom from you all. And I really appreciate getting to be a guest on the show. And um, I appreciate You're all the listeners You're not a guest anymore, Cindy. I'm not a guest anymore? You're, no, you're you, you've been here too many here. times. You can go in the cabin and make you a sandwich now. You're, you're counter stories. Oh my gosh. Great. I want some of that fried bread. I want some of that, you know, all this stuff. Okay, great. Well, I was just thinking, you know... Um, 
It was hard for me to think about what's what are the spaces that I get to claim. You know, as an immigrant, it's kind of tricky because there is, I always existed in networks. We didn't have, you know, it wasn't like, this is our neighborhood. This is our, we existed wherever we could connect with people. And especially because it, you know, it took over, um, it took over a decade for us to get permanent residency. So for that decade, we were, we, at any moment we could have been deported. Um, so there were, it was, it's hard to claim space, um, when you're the very first generation here mm. and when you're part of a diaspora, right? And so I w- so I think that has really shaped how I think about that. And I'm so relationship-based, right? Because that's what we had. That's the only solid thing we could count on were relationships because the very land underneath our feet could be ripped away, you know, mm. um, and anytime we weren't here long enough to have that generational thing. That's very different when I go to my motherland. I have to mm. reckon with things and I have to shift worldviews completely, but here. And so I was just thinking about where are those spaces where I felt um belonging that's part of what I hear us say Mm -hmm. is just folks being like I could just lean into the unshakable belonging of that moment that we didn't have I didn't have to prove that I was worthy of being here I didn't have to assimilate to be good enough or to fit into dominant culture I didn't have to assimilate and change to be seen as credible like I could just show up as I am and know that I am enough and I belong, that I'm not too much and I'm always enough. And that's, you know, and then when I think about that, I'm like, I've experienced that. There's definitely a layer within um, that is cultural that would, that I can only experience in particular ways when I'm with my Latinx folks, language, cult. there's just a sharedness that we have, but that's not the only place I've experienced. I've experienced that with friends we're also immigrants. I'm like, we know that immigrants struggle with their immigrant parents. And, you know, like all the comedians when they're immigrant comedians, I'm just like, you are, it could be a totally different culture, but I'm like, I get it. Yeah. I can laugh with you. <laughs> I might not know the exact food reference you're talking about, but like, you know, or, you know, or I think sometimes there's certain days where I'm like, I just need to be up in a space with women because we got to just talk mm-hmm. about the realities of mm-hmm. what it is mm-hmm. to be a woman mm-hmm. in the U.S. today of my age or of what. You know, like there are all these elements of our identity that I think we have those moments of unshakable belonging where the fear of dominant culture isn't what's shaping how we think we're supposed to react. Right. And so when I think about what it is to show up as my authentic self, I think it's just really unlearned. Like my, my goal this year has been thinking about, man, I am just not responsible for (laughs) assuring dominant culture folks about whatever feelings are coming up for them when I show up (laughs) as I show up, whether it be white folks or whether it be the men Mm-hmm. Or whether it be the straight folks or whether it be the older folks, like whoever it is, because I have experienced that not just with white folks, let's be frank, you know, mm-hmm. um, that like I'm, if I show up, I'm going to stay grounded in my values because I don't value, you know, certain crap. Like there's stuff I'm not necessarily trying to do, but there is stuff I definitely want to do in this world. And so if I show up as my myself, people are going to have feelings, right? Because I'm not abiding by whatever it is that we were supposed to try to force ourselves into. And I'm trained to like make people feel better about that or like, no, no, it's okay. Or to take it back so others don't have feelings of being disrupted at the cost of my authentic self. And I've been trying to get more comfortable being like, yeah, good luck with that. 
Like, that's a, like, I can't do shit. And I'm not going to try to figure out psych- psychologically what's going on for you or why or, you know, all that. It's just like, no. So really looking for the space, for the people. I think uh, really looking for friendships, really looking for co-conspirators. So I'm like, I trust that you value showing up as you are without needing to judge or to assimilate or dominate. And if you're somebody who can be open and curious like that with me, I can hang with you. I'm not going to agree with everything you say, but if you are willing to welcome me in the fullness of my humanity, like that's a space I can hang. All you want to do is share some of your food with me. Great. You want to open up your home and let me come in as I am and you're because you're going to be just as you are. Let's kick it. Let's do that. And I find myself, you know, I've been in movement work my whole life. And I'm like, honestly, what I really want this year is to get to just discover my own humanity. Hmm. I'm so focused on the cause and the change that I don't even really know what it is to sit in the fullness just of my own full humanity for myself, not just for future generations and for my community, but just for myself. Like if I don't even know what it is to to sit in my own humanness as a silly, quirky person, I, I think I'm severely debilitated in what I think I'm creating for others. And so anyone who I can just sit in the fullness of my humanity with, where I don't have to prove myself as smart or as a change maker or as a leader or whatever, those are the people I want to spend time with this year. Like that, those are my goals. Those relationships where I can make some friends where I'm like, man, we shared a moment of belonging. We belong together just as we are. Like that's what I've, that's what I'm yearning for in, as we go into 2023. I'm, I'm with that 100%. And, 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 it, and I love everything that everybody has said so far because that is care for self. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes one of the things that dominant culture requires of us for our credibility is, um, is to constantly be on to care for everybody ourselves, and you are penalized for focusing on your needs in a particular mm-hmm. space. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is why I love this quote from Audre Lord: "Caring for myself is not self-indulgence; it is self-preservation, and that is an act of political warfare." Mm-hmm. So when I think that I'm focusing on myself and I'm taking myself out the fight, I, I need to pull up that Audre Lord. Know that taking care of my needs and myself to be my full, authentic self is just as much a part of the fight as when I'm quote-unquote on. This has been Counter Stories. I'm Anthony Galloway, pastor of St. Mark AME Church in Duluth, Minnesota, and senior partner at the Dendros Group. I'm Halili, owner of the Other Media Group, Counter Stories producer and VP of programming at Ampers. And I'm Don Eubanks, associate of Dendros Group and member of the Malak Spano Ojibwe Indians. And I'm Cindy Modales-Garcia, co-founder of the Courageous Change Collective. Thanks for listening. This has been Counter Stories, a co-production of the Counter Stories crew and Ampers, diverse radio for Minnesota's communities, with support from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. For our full conversation, please visit counterstories.com.